Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Geriatric trauma refers to a traumatic injury that occurs to an older adult. While trauma is a leading cause of morbidity and mortality across all age groups, geriatric populations are more likely to have existing health issues and a greater risk of disability and death than younger patients. Today I have two guests. The first is Dr. Meaden Shinko, Director of Trauma Services at Virginia Hospital Center. My second guest is Courtney Caton, Director of the Virginia Hospital Center Trauma Program. They're both going to be talking about the causes of trauma in older adults, signs and symptoms, possible complications, and long-term effects. They'll also be, be discussing key issues that healthcare providers need to consider when caring for and treating geriatric trauma patients. So thank you, Dr. Shinko and Courtney, and uh, appreciate having you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Well, Dr. Shinko, let's start with you. I mentioned a little bit about geriatric trauma, which I know we're going to get to in a moment, but perhaps you could set the stage for us by giving us a definition of trauma. What, what does that mean? So there are lots of definitions of trauma. Um, what we want to focus on today and what we focus here at Virginia Hospital Center is physical trauma, where patients sustain injuries from a large variety of mechanisms, um, including car accidents, including uh, falls, and they sustain injuries that range from severe life-threatening um, organ system-threatening injuries to relatively minor ones, but all of them can have a significant impact on uh, their fu- the patient's future life. So to that point, Courtney, is there a difference between acute trauma and chronic trauma? Sure. So acute trauma would would more so be the initial incident. Um, stabilization. So we do a lot of things at the, you know, once the patient comes into the resuscitation bay, um, we're looking for any threats to life um, and we, we fix any of those immediate issues. Um, and the acute phase would last, you know, through uh, rehabilitation. And then chronic trauma would be more so the aftermath. So any kind of chronic pain that might might occur from the tra- traumatic incident, um, any residual effects like weakness, brain damage, and then of course psychological effects as well. Okay, well that's that's very helpful. That kind of lets us know then the difference of what we're talking about in terms of the full range of trauma. Let's get a little bit closer to what we're we want to talk more about today in that 
the relationship between aging and trauma. So Dr. Shinko, tell us a little bit more about that. What, what kind of a relationship are we talking about? Well, there's a really significant uh, relationship. As you can imagine, um, if a young person gets a cold or the flu, um, they tend to get over it much more quickly and and bounce back um, than an older person. And this is certainly true in trauma as well. It's sort of the concept of how much reserve our body is able, has and able to tolerate an insult. So um, older people have less reserve. So even a relatively minor trauma um, can cause significant um, effects to the body. In addition to that, older people tend to have more um, coexisting medical problems that make them, um, uh, that complicate the whole uh, recovery process. Um, And as well, they take more medications Um, which also make this whole process a lot more difficult. So recovery tends to be a a bigger deal in older adults. And I guess I would also ask kind of a sub-question to that, Dr. Shinko. When we think about aging, somebody can be an older adult anywhere from 50 to 100. So is it possible that the older a person is, the greater effect trauma would have on that individual? So in general, yes, um, the our ability to tolerate insults kind of is a linear relationship with age. We do see an awful lot of older adults in our community who are incredibly spry and who you know go to exercise classes and who are able to take walks and do extremely well. And their uh, resilience to getting over trauma is going to be a lot different than someone who is more sedentary and has more medical problems associated with their life. But in general, yes, a, an older person is going to have a, a more difficult time getting over a trauma than a younger person. Okay, well, let's then go into the definition of geriatric trauma. Courtney, I, I mentioned already in the intro that that's a traumatic injury that occurs to an older adult. Is that your definition as well, or is it much broader than that? Uh, so we really use the age of 65 to, that's what we consider our geriatric um, trauma patients here at Virginia Hospital Center. So the the definition is the same then as what I had mentioned, the traumatic injury that occurs to an older adult? Yes. Okay. Then let's get back to you, Dr. Shinko, about how trauma does affect older adults. You mentioned a little bit in terms of chronic conditions and more fragile, if you will. But talk a little bit more about this. And as part of your response, is it common or more common amongst this population uh, to have some kind of trauma? So there's there's a number of things that all add up to um, influence uh, trauma in older folks. Um, The first is their sort of baseline strength, conditioning, their baseline medical um, history. So older adults tend to be, um, have more medical problems and tend to not be as strong physically as the younger population. Um, And so even as I was mentioning, relatively minor trauma can impact this more significantly. Um, 
you take um, a patient with, say, a, a roof fracture or two, you put them in the hospital, you leave them, um, that they're in bed because they're in pain and they're um, having difficulty getting up. Um, and that can um, make them even more weak. Um, people who have, for example, uh, medical problems that, that um, uh, include pulmonary issues, respiratory issues, um, and give them a couple of rift fractures that impacts their respiratory, their ability to breathe um, and function that way significantly. So um, trauma does have even relatively minor trauma can have a very significant effect in older adults. The more significant the trauma is, obviously the bigger the impact, the, the more um, discomfort the patient is going to have, the more um, dis, uh, you know, disability they're going to have, and all of that will impact their ability to get back to um, their regular lifestyle. And I'm wondering, Dr. Schinkel, in terms of the trauma center at Virginia Hospital Center, and this, of course, is kind of a, a variable, but what percentage of the number of patients that you see are uh, older adults? At Virginia Hospital Center, we do have a very significant population of older adults. This is in juxtaposition to a trauma center, say, in Chicago or Los Angeles, where um, the great majority are younger our um, trauma center sees um, at least 60 to 70% of what we would consider older patients. Okay. Well, that's why this program is so important for our listeners today. And to that point then, Courtney, let's get back to you. Talk about the signs and symptoms of geriatric trauma. How, how do they differ with an older adult, say, than what you see in younger patients? Yeah, so they can have some differences than younger patients, but not necessarily always. So, um, you know, when assessing an elderly patient, we have to be aware of any kind of chronic pain that they might have, like arthritis. So they might have a decreased range of motion. Um, they might also take cardiac medications like a beta blocker. So maybe um, their heart rate won't elevate as much if they have any kind of you know, um, internal bleeding, we normally in younger patients, or I should say patients who are not on cardiac medications, um, such as a beta blocker, their heart rate will elevate, you know, fairly significantly whenever there's any kind of hemorrhaging occurring. But in those patients who are on some of these medications, um, they won't elevate. So we just have to be aware of things like that. Um, as well as patients that, you know, as we age, we might develop dementia or Alzheimer's. Um, so just being aware of, of their baseline mental function um, is really important, especially when assessing patients with potential head injuries that can pose some difficulties um, because we talk about somebody's mental status and an elderly patient who has dementia or Alzheimer's you know, they don't have the mental capacity that the three of us have here today. Um, so just being aware of that is those are definitely important things um, to think of when when we're assessing for signs and symptoms of trauma in our elderly population. 
And then to that point, Dr. Shinko, uh, obviously Courtney had mentioned some of these all already, the, some physical and, and perhaps the medicines that they're taking. Might there be other, say, mental and maybe even emotional issues that can impact the ability to recognize trauma in older adults and make it more difficult to make a diagnosis of trauma. Do you see that a lot or what, what's your experience? Yes, that, that, those kinds of things definitely impact um, and we do see it quite frequently, unfortunately. Um, Met, Courtney had mentioned dementia as being one of the um, problems in terms of assessing mental status. Another, um, uh, another problem that we see not infrequently is Parkinson's, for example. Um, those patients will have movement disorders and will have um, their affect or their ability to interact with, um, you know, other people and, um, and with us um, is going to be significantly different than, um, than other patients. Um, in addition, um, older adults tend to also have less social interactions, less family contact, um, frequently, unfortunately, live alone, and some of those um, can cause some of those issues can cause significant emotional uh, problems. So, just the the mere fact that uh, that older adults tend to have these sorts of issues make it more difficult for us to interact with them in in what we would consider a normal physician patient interaction, um, and so it makes it more difficult for us to assess them. I would also imagine that given what we've just gone through with the requirements of the COVID, that that might have even exacerbated particularly the emotional issues like loneliness and isolation and made it even more difficult to recognize trauma. Did you find that? You're absolutely correct. COVID um, has really impacted the world in general, but but I think that's expect especially exacerbated in the older population. Completely agree. Yes, and unfortunately, we might have more difficulties in the coming months uh, with uh, continued concern about COVID. So we aren't out of the woods yet. Certainly not. And I think the other problem that we're seeing now is that everybody in the world is kind of over COVID. Like we just want to get back to our regular lives. Right. And so, you know, all of these little blips or upticks in um, the new um, viruses, the new subvariants, make it that much more difficult. Courtney, talk about the common types of geriatric trauma that you see. People are still maybe not totally familiar in terms of what can cause trauma. So I think if you explain to us what the common types of geriatric trauma, it helps us become much more familiar with this concept. Absolutely. So falls is by far our highest mechanism of trauma, especially in our geriatric population. Um, you know, some other things, well, let me go back to falls. So falls from standing, um, but also there, for some reason, the our elderly gentlemen still like to go up on ladders um, and do things. And we tend to see them fall off those ladders and come in with significant injuries. Um, so yes, falls for certain. Um, but also we still see, you know, some of our elderly patients come in with bicycle accidents 
or um, there's a lot of great walking areas in Arlington, um, but not ne not necessarily like trail walking. So um, we do see uh, patients come in as you know, pedestrians that were struck by a vehicle, um, and as well as, you know, the elderly population that still drive, um, they can come in with motor vehicle accidents. And um, when those patients do come into us, our geriatric patients tend to have things like traumatic brain injuries, um, and a lot of them are on um, you know, blood thinning medication. So that can, can pose additional problems. Um, when they have bleeding inside their brain, it tends to be worse, unfortunately. So there's some additional steps that we have to take for them, as well as just because of some of the frailty issues that, that they struggle with. So we do see a fair amount of hip fractures. And uh, Dr. Shinko touched on this a little bit, um, but rib fractures as well. Um, and then I think Dr. Shinko later on is going to talk about some of the complications from, from those rib fractures. Yes. And in fact, that's the next question. So <laughs> thank you, Courtney and Dr. Shinko. So given what Courtney just explained in so far as the types of geriatric trauma and mentioned a few of the complications, are there others that can occur in patients with geriatric trauma? Absolutely. Almost every organ system um, can be impacted significantly. Um, as Courtney had mentioned, um, patients who um, suffer brain injuries um, can, uh, especially in the elderly on blood thinners, can be significantly uh, worse than uh, other, other age groups. Um, but if you have a patient with a brain injury who has either mild or more advanced dementia, um, that's going to significantly um, change the path of their underlying disease. Um, patients who come into the hospital um, and have dementia issues will, um, just by virtue of being in the hospital, get more disoriented and have, have uh, trouble um, dealing with that aspect of their care. Um, patients who have um, other underlying um, medical issues like lung problems or heart problems, um, all of those are going to be worsened. Um, another aspect is that older folks tend to have uh, more brittle and less strong bones. And so uh, um, a fall from standing might result in significant facial fractures, significant rib injuries, um, in addition to the hip fractures that we kind of like all are aware of. Um, in addition to those kinds of things, um, as I mentioned before, having a patient in bed um, for a day or two, which may not be any kind of an issue for uh, a younger person, can significantly um, cause their weakness, their underlying weakness, um, to be much worse. Um, so I think in general, um, we see older folks needing um, more advanced care after their trauma situation in the hospital. They frequently will require more rehabilitation, more um, admissions to like a skilled nursing facility rather than going home, which we see more commonly in the younger folks. So given what you're seeing here, and you've both articulated well the kind of complications, 
because you two look at each patient with a different perspective, I'm going to go back to Courtney to give the nursing perspective. When you have a patient, an older patient who comes in, what are the most important considerations that you, as a nurse and your colleagues, need to think about as you are caring for this geriatric trauma patient? So similar to what I mentioned earlier, it's really important to have keen assessment skills and notify the trauma surgeon of any minor or acute changes that you might see. Um, it's important to take into consideration their pre-existing medical conditions, like I said. Um, you know, they might have lower heart rates, lower blood pressures. They might have mobility issues. We have to understand their baseline mental status um, and know what kind of support system they have at home, um, you know, family and friends. And additionally, you know, we really need to know about their goals of care um, and what kind of expectations they have um, so that we make sure that our goals for them are aligned with their goals for themselves. And I would suspect, I'm glad you mentioned about the family, because if this is a, an older adult, chances are there a, a caregiver may be present in the trauma center where you are and or another family member. And I would imagine that part of the process here is is advising them of what to to anticipate, as Dr. Schenkel was explaining about complications on a long-term basis. Is that part of your role to kind of anticipate and educate the family members as well as the older adult patient? Absolutely. Education is one of the key things that we do, um, you know, to set our patients up for success for discharge. And just to add to what you mentioned, some of the other things that we see is that the patient themselves are the actual caregiver to a family member at home. So that can cause some um, some difficulties as well and, and increase stress on them while they're here in the hospital because, you know, finding somebody to help care for their loved one who they have at home. Okay, we've just gotten the nursing perspective. So, Dr. Shinko, you are the surgeon. So, what are the key steps that you need to consider as you diagnose and figure out the best treatment for patients who have geriatric trauma? What do you and your colleagues, your like-minded colleagues, have to think about and what is the the approach? So the initial approach to any trauma patient is always the same. We evaluate them um, in terms of their the most potentially life-threatening problems first, um, and then we assess them for any um, less life-threatening injuries. Um, and once we get through that initial phase, we have a we develop a plan for the patient's hospitalization. So if they have any fractures, we're going to assess whether they need any operative intervention. If they have um, brain injury, we'll get neurosurgeons involved um, to uh, create the best possible outcome um, and so forth. We focus very heavily on pain control and we, um, deal with a lot of pain, unfortunately, um, and we approach it from a, a multi, what we call a multimodal approach. So there are lots of different kinds of pain, um, and we have medications that will 
um, tackle those different kinds of pain in very different ways. So patients are not just on one type of narcotic medication, for example. Um, they will have a variety of medications that help with pain. Um, and then one of, one of the most important things that we focus on is um, respiratory status. So if patients in bed, if patients in um, um, not breathing well, um, we want to make sure that they have um, sort of some breathing toys that will um, help them breathe better and not kind of spiral into a situation where, the, where they will develop pneumonia. Um, in addition, we uh, do uh, one of the things that trauma patients, any trauma patient is at significant risk for is developing blood clots. Um, so we spend a lot of time on weighing the risks and benefits of bleeding. Obviously, trauma can cause bleeding um, and putting patients on blood thinners to prevent them from getting sometimes fatal um, blood clots to their lungs. Um, and then we engage all of the different um, ancillary providers like physical therapy. Physical therapy is one of the most important sort of non-medical um, aspects of trauma care. We cannot do anything without amazing our amazing physical therapists to get patients up and moving um, and out of bed. Um, and then um, also we engage very early on our case managers to help and um, help provide the options for uh, the patient's discharge. And then I think um, kind of one of the other aspects of the medical care that we provide is something that um, Courtney brought up, um, which is what are the patient's goals? So we all like to think that we're gonna get the patient back to wherever they were um, before the trauma. And obviously that is not always possible. So we have to set the patient and their family. We have to give them appropriate expectations on what their new life might be like and then determine what we can do to optimize that, but also determine if that's acceptable for the patient and what, what their goals will be. If they can't go home, if they can't, um, if they need to live in a facility, um, if they can't uh, go, if they can't drive anymore, um, and set appropriate expectations um, and goals with the patients and their families. Okay, well, that certainly provides a very good overview. And I want to ask a few more questions after the break, but we're going to take a short break right now. I do want to uh, let our listeners know, in case you tuned in late, that uh, we have two guests today, and one of them is Dr. Meaden Shinko, who is the Director of Trauma Services at Virginia Hospital Center, and she is joined by Courtney Caton, who's the Director of the Virginia Hospital Center Trauma Program. And you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. 
Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We are having an excellent discussion about geriatric trauma with Dr. Meaton Chinko, who is the Director of Trauma Services at Virginia Hospital Center, and Courtney Caton, who's the Director of the Hospital's Trauma Program. So, Courtney, uh, it occurred to me when Dr. Shinko was talking before the break about the possibility of somebody coming in and you have no idea what the history of this person is, what medications they might be on, what might have occurred, even what their mental state is. Talk a little bit more about that and how you handle that. And then is it possible that because of that, they might be misdiagnosed and, and receive the wrong treatment? How do you approach that? Sure. So the trauma service, you know, we don't act alone. Um, there are many groups that we work with here at the hospital. And one of those is case management. Um, because like you said, some patients might come in with no identification. Um, and we really wouldn't know what their medical history was. Um, we would all obviously look for signs. So we would search their belongings to try to find any kind of identification cards or um, prescription bottles or medical alert bracelets. But we also work with case management and the police to try to find, you know, this individual's family members um, to try to help us answer some of those questions if the patient's not able to answer the questions themselves. Um, and as far as misdiagnosing um, or receiving the wrong treatment, that's where really good assessment skills come into play. Um, you know, especially if the patient isn't able to tell us where they have pain or if um, they're disoriented or, you know, things like that. So really good assessment skills, as well as utilizing all of the diagnostic tools that we have in our um, toolbox per se. So like CT scans, um, uh, x-rays, or any kind of um, lab testing. So we would draw their blood and send it down uh, to the lab as well. Um, and then additionally, we do, um, we have our initial exam that we do to look for any kind of life threats. So we talk about the ABCs, so airway, breathing, and circulation. And then we would move on to the secondary survey where we check, you know, the rest of their systems. But also, once a patient is admitted into the hospital, we would perform a tertiary exam to make sure that there weren't any injuries that were initially missed, um, you know, in the, in the hustle and bustle of, of immediately trying to save their life. And how much emphasis, Courtney, do you place or, or validity maybe of, of what the family member who might be accompanying this person, say somebody has a fall and adult daughter or son joins them, um, do you turn to that family member or if it's the caregiver or whoever for additional information to help to make the proper diagnosis and treatment? Yeah, we definitely take into consideration what the family says. Um, so it's similar for for those of the listeners who were pediatric nurses. So we um, pediatric nurses always say that, that the parents know the child better than anyone. So when they say that something is not normal, um, you know, you should really listen to them. And that would certainly um, 
come into play here as well. Okay. Well, we'll keep that in mind. So Dr. Schenkel, getting back to you, I wanted to ask you about the principle of the golden hour. Oftentimes you hear about the golden hour in connection with stroke patients, somebody who's had a stroke and getting the medication uh, in a timely fashion. But is the golden hour also a principle that applies to trauma patients? It absolutely does. So um, we, uh, we don't look at it from exactly the same perspective as the stroke uh, doctors do. Um, but if you look at um, the patients who succumb to trauma, they basically fall into um, three sort of categories. There are patients who um, are so severely injured that they never even are able to make it to the hospital. Um, that's the first peak. Um, and then the third peak is way down the line, days and weeks um, after the trauma, where patients um, uh, succumb to uh, their multi-organ system failures. Um, and those patients frequently have infections associated with that whole process. The, the, the golden hour in trauma refers to the middle peak. So there are injuries that can cause death, um, but if they are intervened upon in a timely fashion, then we can turn that around. And those would include things like, um, like bleeding from a liver injury or um, having respiratory failure from a collapsed lung. Those sorts of things, if the, the paramedics um, bring the patients to us and we recognize those injuries and intervene upon them quickly, we can prevent um, the, the fatal outcome. So the golden hour is the time period immediately following the, um, the traumatic uh, injury where we have the highest likelihood of being able to, to, to treat the patient and prevent death. So the faster a patient can get treatment, both from the paramedics, say, in the ambulance, and then, of course, at your trauma center, the better, sounds like. Yes, the faster, the better. And that is, that is the reason why, um, that's one of the reasons why it's really important for us to be here um, in Arlington. So this community um, can receive prompt trauma care very soon following their, their injury, and we can intervene upon them and turn things around and get them an appropriate treatment plan moving forward. Well, Courtney, we talked a little bit about uh, dementia earlier. Is, is there a relationship between trauma and dementia? Have you seen that in terms of your experience of, uh, in the trauma program? Yeah, so there are actually some studies out there that suggest that a, a physical traumatic event can actually exacerbate symptoms of dementia. Um, you know, additionally, in the hospital, some of the things that we see um, are an increase in symptoms of dementia patients or, you know, the development of delirium just because they're out of their normal routine, their surroundings are not familiar, that people aren't familiar. Um, we also tend to, to do things at strange hours, so their sleeping cycle is affected. So we really try to promote familiarity 
um, and, you know, family member or support system presence as much as possible. And if somebody's not able to be there with them, then at least have things that are familiar to them at their bedside. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, we actually did see an increase of this during COVID um, just because family members and the support system weren't able to physically be here in the hospital with them. And also, in addition to that particular scenario, uh, Dr. Shinko, you had mentioned a little bit in, earlier in the interview about serious health conditions. So let's talk a little bit more about that I, and, and explain to our listeners that if, if an older adult has experienced trauma, there may be more likely to um, be a development of serious health conditions that are long-term. What, what do you see or what do you know? I think one of the biggest things that we see is um, that patients get weak and are not able to move around as much. Um, and so that can significantly impact their ability um, to really be mobile in the long term, um, not only after fractures um, that will you know, keep them from being able to bear weight on an extremity, for example, but just in general, their, their general muscular strength uh, wanes and it becomes more difficult for them to move around. Um, from a lung perspective, uh, even rib fractures can cause um, some long-term lung problems, particularly in older adults who have pre-existing lung issues. Um, patients... Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, unfortunately experience a significant amount of pain um, and get put on a variety of different kinds of pain medications. And those um, that can develop into uh, chronic pain issues, which again impacts um, not only on their ability to get moving, uh, but also just on their general mental state. And that's a good segue back to Courtney it sounds like there is a relationship of between trauma and, and brain health. And does that also then go on to also affecting mental health? What, what's that situation? Yeah, it absolutely can. And this, you know, doesn't just go for the geriatric population. This would go for anybody who sustained any kind of uh, traumatic event or physical trauma. So that's where, you know, having a strong support system, um, especially after a traumatic event is, is very important, um, as well as making sure that the patients remain compliant with their follow-up visits so that somebody is seeing them on a regular basis and they can seek mental health assistance if needed. Um, there's some screening questions that we do in the hospital just to make sure that people, you know, feel safe where they live um, and, you know, kind of gives them an out um, if they need it uh, so that we can then get them assistance if needed. Can I just make a comment as well? Um, the, the trauma significantly impacts the patient, obviously, but there is increasing um, evidence and appreciation for the um, mental health impact that any trauma has on the family members as well. Um, and I think that's especially true in the older population because the family members then 
um, have to make difficult decisions with the patient, if possible, about where the patient is going to live, um, what kind of um, assistance, additional assistance the patient may need. Um, if the patient is unable to drive, for example, then they lose a significant amount of their independence and the family has to um, potentially pick up uh, those kinds of um, uh, needs for the patient. Um, so there is, as I mentioned, a very significant impact on not only the patient, but for the entire family and caregivers from a mental health standpoint. Excellent point. Excellent point. Thank you for that, Dr. Shinko. And talk to us about, is trauma in the uh, older adults associated with a higher mortality rate? What do you see? The sort of underlying medical problems and the underlying uh, reserve or um, functional status of the patient um, is certainly a big determinant of how they're going to do um, after trauma. But as a general rule, um, the mortality that a, an older adult um, will unfortunately sustain um, is much higher than in a younger person. Um, additionally, as I sort of alluded to earlier, um, we don't, we can't always get patients back to where they want to be, unfortunately. Um, and I think the difficult decisions of what is acceptable um, to the patient and their family um, can definitely impact on this. And we see um, a lot of um, older adults making that decision that their life is inexorably changed um, and is, um, you know, potentially spiraling downward anyway from a health perspective. And so they opt for um, hospice and comfort measures rather than aggressive care. Well, that's that's very helpful in terms of kind of understanding what the and, and it sounds like, Dr. Shinko, that that's part of the long term effects that may occur as a result of trauma. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, anyone's life is going to be changed. And sometimes we just can't get it to what is acceptable for the patient. And particularly older adults have frequently already started thinking about those issues um, and frequently made plans with their with their families. A couple more questions I, I just wanted to direct to Courtney. Maybe you could help us understand the difference between post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma in an older adult. Is, is there a difference? We hear so much about PTSD, and and we just want to understand the, the difference in terms there. Can you help us on that? Sure. So really, PTSD in, in an older adult versus uh, a younger person, really, you wouldn't see anything different. You might still see um, them develop mood disorders, anxiety. Um, they might, you know, have more, uh, more of a negative outlook on life. Um, they might be avoiding things that they used to do or avoiding any kind of triggers. So anything that might remind them of their, the traumatic event that they, that they endured, um, they would, you know, shy away from things like that. You might also see them develop substance abuse, um, so really, it's it's the same for for uh, younger adults and 
uh, the geriatric population in regards to PTSD. One other question then that's kind of related, does the trauma that an older adult has experienced, does it ever really go away completely? It doesn't sound like, from what Dr. Shinko said, um, and perhaps part of it does depend on the, the nature of the trauma that someone has experienced, but what is, say, the percentage of whether it goes away completely versus partially versus not at all? So I think that the physical trauma might go away for some people, and then uh, other individuals might still have, you know, the physical scars, or they might um, they might have some arthritis in their joints um, that is was caused from the physical trauma that they endured. Um, but I don't think that that the psychological trauma would go away for anybody. I think that it's always something that you would carry with you. Does that answer your question? Yes. Yes. No, that's very helpful. I mean, as you were saying, it it really would vary on the individual and the nature of the trauma and that. So it's it's all over the map. So let's let's turn to prevention. We always want to hear about uh, prevention and we can how we can prevent trauma from occurring in the first place. So, Dr. Shinko, let's start with you. What measures can older adults take to reduce their risk of falls? Since that seems to be the the biggest reason why older adults end up at the trauma center. Certainly, in our center, that's what we see a significant portion of the time is falls from standing or um, falls down a uh, you know, a very short distance, uh, like a step or so forth. I think um, there is there are many um, whole programs that will will evaluate this um, for each individual. But there are certainly some sort of global things that people can do. Um, I I personally am not a huge exercise person, but as I grow into this age, uh, I'm very close to to that cutoff of. Uh, being a, a geriatric patient, um, I think that keeping your strength um, in whatever way, um, there are lots of different exercise programs and so forth out there, but keeping strength and mobility and flexibility is incredibly important. Um, as I said, after the trauma, physical therapy is one of the most important parts of our trauma team. Um, uh, but even in terms of prevention, um, keeping your muscles strong, keeping your bones as strong as possible is very important. Um, other things that you can do, um, pharmacology has a, a huge impact on um, falls. And so a lot of patients who have co um, coexisting medical problems will be on a, a large list of medications, um, some of which decrease their strength, some of which decrease mental acuity, um, and so having, having a physician really look at all the medications that a patient is on and try to minimize um, some of them is really important. Another aspect is looking at where the patient lives and things like rugs. Patients fall over rugs, trip over rugs all the time. Um, and... Uh, animals, for example, uh, while they provide a tremendous mental um, improvement can sometimes be difficult if you trip over your dog or cat 
or if you're pulled by your dog or cat. Um, so having, um, having those kinds of things looked at and evaluated are um, also very important. Um, and then I think lastly, sort of keeping your, um, your mental state as strong as possible um, in terms of, you know, not feeling down, getting out and, and interacting with the community and friends and so forth. Um, and keeping your um, mental acuity as strong as possible um, is another thing that will, you know, help you recognize what situations um, may or may not be um, putting you at risk for a fall. Those are those are some of the big things that that um, that we talk about in terms of preventing falls. One of the things that I forgot to mention that we see a lot is. Um, older folks who go to the bathroom in the middle of the night um, and will take a wrong turn or will, you know, bump into something. Um, and so having, um, having that aspect of their home assessed is also um, really important. Right. Especially when it's dark, obviously, which occurs at, at nighttime. So thank you for that, Dr. Shinko. So Courtney, are there recommendations that you would make in terms of the other causes of, of geriatric trauma? Yeah. And just to add on, you know, to what uh, all of the things that Dr. Shinko mentioned, um, you know, knowing your body is really important as well. So knowing if you experience dizziness uh, upon standing, first of all, if that's a new symptom, you should seek medical attention. But if it's something that you know is not quote normal for you, you know, remembering to stand slowly, um, give yourself a couple of seconds before you take that first step. Um, and you know, like she said, area rugs and cords tend to be problems that people trip on. Um, also making sure that you have good fitting shoes and not, you know, slippers that you just kind of plug around on. Um, so good foot health and um, good vision health as well. So making sure that you're staying on top of your, you know, glasses um, and, and things like that. Um, and then if you use any kind of, um, you know, walking devices like a walker or a cane, you know, make sure that you don't forget that. I, I would always have this argument with my grandfather because he was prescribed a, a walking cane, but he would walk with it and hold it up in the air. And I'm like, Grandpa, it doesn't do you any good when you're just holding the cane in the air. And he said, well, it's it's in case I trip, then I'll put it down. <laughs> but, you know, making sure that you're using your supportive devices that are that are recommended. And I wanted to take that one step further now in terms of your recommendations. Are there any uh, community programs that are available to help to reduce and prevent geriatric trauma? And if so, are there certain services that are included? What do we need to know, Courtney? Absolutely. So I'm actually fairly new um, to the Arlington area, um, but there are a lot of community uh, services and community centers that are offered. First of all, our health promotion and senior health department here at Virginia Hospital Center, they're very active in the community. Um, and they do a lot of prevention measures as well. But in addition to that, um, there are a lot of 55 and over communities um, or community centers like uh, Lover Run Community Center, Arlington Mill Community Center, 
uh, and Walter Reed Community Center. They host a lot of events like social events, classes. They have guest speakers. Um, they do exercise and sports classes, um, games, crafts, music, all sorts of stuff. So we're just about out of time here. Asking both of you, um, Dr. Schenkel, we'll start with you. Any other resources that you would like to share with our listeners that will help to decrease the amount of geriatric trauma in our community and around the country? I think there are there there is a an increasing awareness that um, geriatric trauma is a major source of morbidity in the older population, particularly as our population ages, there is um, more and more emphasis on what we can do to not only prevent, but also treat patients. Um, In in keeping with what we were talking about earlier in terms of mental health, I think one of the things um, that is also important to recognize is that as people age and start meeting some of these um, these roadblocks, if you will, um, it becomes a hardship to recognize and accept um, the encumbrances that we have as we age. Um, like as Courtney was saying, the her grandfather and his cane. Nobody really wants to acknowledge that they need a cane, um, but. Um, I think that all of these programs that are out there um, are really important to get involved with, not only for the physical help that and, and education that they provide, but also for um, the mental well-being that this is happening. Um, they help with acceptance of some of these issues and hopefully um, provide some, some good mental health strategies as well. All right. Excellent advice, Dr. Shinko. Thank you. Courtney, any final comments from you? No, as far as resources go, there's a lot of resources in uh, the community, like I mentioned, you know, as well as I think that, you know, primary care doctors and pharmacies are also resources um, for our geriatric population. Okay. Well, I want to thank Dr. Medenchenko, Director of Trauma Services at Virginia Hospital Center, and Courtney Caton, who's the Director of the Hospital's Trauma Program. And thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. I want our listeners to know that if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio and TV show content that we've produced over the last five and a half years. And you can log on to the Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. And to learn more about that company, just log on to inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters again today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.